0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostics industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I'm the managing editor of MDDI, an online publication owned by Informa that covers the medical device and diagnostics sector. We've got an awesome episode lined up. We're going to be speaking with Deepak Kontia, and he's the chief medical officer of Varian Medical Systems. D, as he's affectionately known throughout the halls of Varian, is going to be talking about Varian receiving an IDE for its flash therapy. Now, we want to point out, we want to be very clear, the flash therapy doesn't have approval from FDA yet, but it's under investigation. So we want to make very clear, this is not available. It's still being investigated. Uh, Varian has not filed for submission yet. Uh, We're also going to be talking about intelligent cancer care. This is this new theory, this new model, this new, just this new mantra, this new practice that Varian is incorporating, intelligent cancer care. And it has the potential to change the paradigm of how we look at cancer care treatment and management. And finally, yes, finally, we're going to go there. We're going to discuss Siemens Healthineers acquiring Varian. Now, if you recall, Siemens Healthineers announced in 2020 that they would be picking up Varian, but the deal closed in 2021. We're going to be talking about what it's like to work under the Siemens Healthineers umbrella and just what kinds of things we can expect from Varian going forward in 2022. So it's going to be an amazing conversation and I can't wait for you all to hear it. So without further ado, Let's Talk MedTech with Dr. Deepak Krutia. Well, Dee, welcome to Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks for coming on to the program. Thanks for inviting me, Omar. Sure, anytime, anytime, and I'm excited about this conversation. I really want to get into what Varian has been doing lately, but we have to talk about one of the biggest changes, and that's the, that's Siemens Healthineers acquiring Varian in 2020. How has it been under under that umbrella? Well, good, good question, Omar. And you know,
1: this this was this was a this was a big deal when it happened last year. It was one of the largest acquisitions in healthcare uh, in, in quite some time, and You know, we, you know, we in Varian, we're a 70-plus-year-old company in the heart of Silicon Valley. We were there right after Hewlett-Packard was there, and it's really been one of the darlings of of Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, whenever—and we're used to being the company acquiring other companies. And so to be acquired certainly adds adds some stress. But the fantastic part about it, though, is when we— got to uh, meet and and got to know the our counterparts on the Siemens Healthineers side like Bernd Montag for example who's the CEO boy it was really inspiring um, the integration has been doing has been going really well and you know probably most importantly the impact that we can have on cancer patients has has gotten just that much bigger as a result of our our acquisition so as far as acquisitions of big companies go, I can't really see this have gone any better than it did, and, and I'm really
0: excited to be part of the journey here. Yeah, that's amazing, and I can remember when the news broke, and it was uh, it was during during the pandemic. You know, time is a little wonky now when I think about the pandemic and when it started and, and everything. It's it, it's almost like 2020 and 2021 was just one long year, but. Um, I can remember when this deal broke and I remember just saying, wow, this is pretty big. This is a this is a huge acquisition. And I was a little bit surprised at the time because of everything that was going on in the world.
1: Oh, yeah, it was, was, you know, the way we had to do this was, you know, I don't want to get into too many specifics, but, you know, being able to. To, to do this via uh, Zoom meetings and Teams meetings and really essentially virtually. Um, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, really, a, uh, there's probably a story just in that whole uh, process. Uh, uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you uh, on it, Omar. All
0: right. Well, I want to move on a little and, and talk about this theme of intelligent cancer care that Varian has embraced. Can you discuss that philosophy a little bit?
1: Uh,
0: absolutely. This is, you know, something
1: that's not not new to the way we're thinking about
0: cancer care, uh,
1: but I would say that especially with the, um, you know, the recent acquisition by Health it really has uh, jump started what we can actually do here. But if we look at if we look at what's happening in the cancer world in the next 20 years, we're going to have almost 70% more cancer patients than we have right now. And we have countries, especially those that are more in the developing markets that are now investing into, uh, you know, into cancer care, not just in, uh, you know, communicable diseases now. So, so it's, it's, we're having more and more people putting cancer screening programs together. The problem is that we don't have enough clinicians in order to address that growing cancer burden uh, that's going to be happening over the next one to two decades. And so when we talk about intelligent cancer care, we're looking at the entire cancer journey and figuring out how we can use technology in a smarter way where we can uh, bring that sort of learning curve down, bring the quality of care up and actually bring dramatically higher efficiency. So that way, you know, no matter where you live, you're getting the best care and we like to. There is a, a colleague of ours who um, is from the, uh, the ICON group named Mark Middleton and he used to tell us, um, you know, where you live shouldn't determine if you live. Mm-hmm. And that is something that resonates uh, with me every day in, in my job. And, and so how do we ensure we can give the best care everywhere? This intelligent cancer care uh, philosophy uh, of tying the entire patient journey together end to end, learning from what's happening, ensuring that the tools and technologies talk to each other and can give the best advice to the clinicians is really the heart and soul of intelligent cancer
0: care. Yeah. Moving forward and just looking at the cancer rates and looking at at the numbers, uh, it 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 almost seems like we we have to get a better handle on on this. This this broad disease. Uh, You know, personal story. My father uh, died from cancer in uh, 2019. He passed from cancer. He had bile duct cancer and we we weren't sure what was going on with him. Um, he just, you know, he presented symptoms and he went into the hospital and, uh, I would say he he went in and he never came out. And I I think we need better screening and we definitely need, we definitely need the technology to, to, to be at everyone's fingertips so that we can get rapid and quick results so that we can get treatment and and care as early as possible.
1: Oh yeah. I'm really sorry to hear, hear about about your, your your family there and, and that is one of these things that you know we have in our, our our mission is we're trying to remove the fear of cancer in all of the patients that you know that we serve and it is uh, you know I'm, I'm a radiation oncologist and I still see patients and uh, when I see a patient in consultation it typically is the most stressful thing a patient will ever go through in their life and Um, If there's ways we can, you know, convert cancer more into a chronic disease, like we might think about high blood pressure, for example, where it's not as scary because you know that there are good treatments and we can, you know, we can take care of things. I I think that'll go a long ways in, in terms of, you know, relieving some of that anxiety associated with cancer
0: diagnoses. I think so, too. I think so, too. Now, I want to get into uh, the company receiving an IDE for the flash therapy. Can you expand on that a little bit and talk about the progress the company has made with this technology and perhaps share any data from the trials?
1: Sure, happy to, Omar. So let me first take a a quick step back and sort of define what flash therapy is and how that is different from, from typical radiation. So uh, radiation is a very commonly used treatment for cancer. Over half of all the patients in the US will get radiation sometime as part of their their course of of treatment. Um, And in a typical scenario, when we're trying to cure cancer with radiation, treatments are done Monday through Friday, every day for, you know, Five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, sometimes even eight weeks, daily radiation. And, um, you know, that's time consuming. Each treatment, the beam is actually on for several minutes. Well, what if you could take that six week course of radiation, uh, Monday through Friday, every day for a few minutes a day, but you could bring it down to maybe one to three treatments and do, them, do those treatments in under one second. That is what flashes. Now you'll say, well, isn't that dangerous? Why, you know, how can you do that? Well, when we're able to go at these incredibly high dose rates, and this is, you know, looking at, at preclinical studies and animal models, we've shown that there is, you know, very little damage to the normal tissues. But the tumors are responding just as if they received that several-week course of radiation, and so that's what's so exciting and what's so disruptive about the way we think about flash therapy. And if for the last two years, ASTRA, which is one of our, uh, you know, national uh, societies for the specialty, has, uh, you know, groups within there have identified flash as really the most important thing to hit the specialty. Now, getting back to your question about the IDE, which is the investigational device exemption, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're the largest company in, in radiation oncology, but believe it or not, that is the first time we have um, received an IDE for a therapy device. Um, uh, and that was a, a, you know, sort of new to the, to the field of radiation oncology. And this was because we figured out a way to, deliver these flash dose rates with a particular machine called a ProBeam, which is a proton system. And um, our first trial uh, uh, that we did partnering with FDA was a 10-patient feasibility study for patients that have cancers that spread to the bones, and particularly to the long bones, like in the arms and legs. And this was just to, like I said, test the feasibility of it. The good news is uh, you know, we're still we're analyzing all of the results, but the patients did as expected. Very few, if any, side effects were associated with the treatment, and so now
0: we're working with FDA on our our subsequent studies. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I- I guess what uh, this is going to sound like a probably a crass question in a sense, but what is the magic sauce? How are you able to to be able to to give that therapy so quickly? Well, why don't we see damage to the other tissue? Yeah, that's uh, I think uh, whoever uh, figures out the second part of your question,
1: I think <laughs> could be could win the Nobel Prize here. Uh, but uh, for how are we able to do this? Well. Um you know, I'm not a physicist or an engineer, but i, I i've I've uh, been around enough of them in my day job that uh, they've taught me a thing or two. But uh, you know, on our our cyclotron, uh, which is what is used to generate those protons, we have a an incredibly powerful um, um, cyclotron and um, and we're able to, uh, we found out a way where we could basically take the brakes off of it okay. uh, to really let it go at at full speed. And that technology is interesting in that it's able to deliver that very high dose rate all the way through tissue, all the way through the body. Now, there are some other ways of doing it. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember from your, your physics classes, but Um, light or x-rays, the intensity drops by the distance squared. So if we were to bring the target, say the patient, uh, and we were to bring it very close to to the head of the machine where the beam is coming out, you might be able to get those types of dose rates on a more typical machine. But the problem is, you, uh, you, you know, the patients are too big, and, yeah. and the field would be really tiny. So these sorts of, uh, you know, that doesn't, that, that's great for animal experiments. But when it comes to actually treating humans, you would need to have something more powerful. And that proton system is able to do that. And that's what was really exciting about this when our engineering team said that I, they thought they
0: could do this for us understood, understood, uh, awesome. When do you expect FDA approval or, or let me ask this question when do you expect submitting to FDA um, for approval? That's a better question.
1: yeah that's that you know I wish I I wish I had um, I wish I had the right answer um, We're taking a very cautious approach uh, to this technology because in many ways we are, introducing a a a new field within radiation oncology Mm -hmm. and um so uh we're being very careful to heed the advice of fda and we've taken a little bit smaller or a little bit slower pace um compared to a typical 510k that we might do Um, so my suspicion is that we will have at least one to two more trials human trials that we will do before we uh, submit for our, our our clearance, but that again is uh, some of this is speculation as we have to see how things go with our second study, which we're in the process of uh,
0: of submitting this year. Understood. Do you often see um, here's a question that I have. Do we often see a lot a lot of innovation when it comes to radiation oncology? do we do we see many PMAs? Uh, or do we see uh, anything beyond the the 510k uh is this truly the, the devices that truly move the needle is is this one of the first in a long time i, yeah. I guess i'm trying that's to, a, that that's
1: a great that's a great question and and uh you know we typically do not see pmas in um you know in radiation oncology and part of that is because it's you know it's often thought of a lot like a scalpel right a scalpel cuts radiation gets rid of tumors and so the approvals for radiation devices have largely been anywhere in the body that radiation is indicated so you would get a a tools indication so so PMAs uh, you know PMAs are typically um, haven't been needed this this also is something that I'm not quite sure would necessitate a PMA but it would require um, you know, at least a five ten k with clinicals or uh, de novo five ten k to get approved is 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 my my guess uh, based on uh, what I know right now. Um, you know, there is some also some some differences between um, what we might see in the pharma world, uh, for example, where uh, you know if we were to you know medical devices in general. Um, uh, there, we, we often don't have the same types of resources and the same time horizons that we might have with a drug, for example. So if we had to put a technology through the paces and it would take seven, eight years before we had everything we needed to be able to get it cleared, well, within seven, eight years, the technology will have moved on. So we have those time pressures that maybe for a drug isn't quite as uh, you know is not uh, as 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 critical as it is in the medical devices. Plus, when we invent something, our our customers want it right away, and yeah. they also don't want to pay uh, thirty times <laughs> uh, what what they pay now for it. And
0: so there is that that balance that we always have to uh, to work through. Yes, it's always a a crucial balance. Um, I want to switch gears now and I want to talk a little bit about the pandemic and how it's potentially impacted uh, variant and procedures. And also, what have you seen in in your practices you've been seeing patients? Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because cancer treatment isn't necessarily uh, an elective procedure but at the beginning of the pandemic uh, we saw interruptions and there wasn't really a clear definition of what an elective procedure was at the very, very beginning. Um, did you see any disruption? And, and how were you able to handle that, both from uh, your standpoint of practicing medicine and also varying?
1: Yeah, good good question, Omar. Uh, it, no doubt, no doubt about it, uh, you know, COVID-19 impacted cancer care. Um, You know, we have now many papers that have been published uh, that have talked about how cancer screening was heavily impacted by COVID-19, meaning people were not showing up for their mammograms, their colonoscopies, their PSA tests, um, their pap smears. And so there was a stage migration that happened where when they finally did go in to get their Um, you know, uh, screening studies done, more advanced cancers were found. And um, that resulted in higher mortality rates. So, higher death rates from, um, you know, the same uh, disease that might have been diagnosed during a non-pandemic area. And uh, so, that was, you know, something we don't often think about. We we think quite a bit about, well, I don't want to go to the hospital, because I might get sick, and I might get COVID, and I might die, but untreated cancers, because of no diagnosis, also can lead to death. And, and so, we have some, ultimately, we have some competing, um, you know, in competing uh, causes of death uh, during the pandemic. The other thing that happened that's more radiation-specific is that we did move into uh, telemedicine in many parts of the world, which was, you know, which was great. It really jump-started something that, uh, you know, really should have happened years ago. But now that things have settled down, barring the the recent Omicron spikes, um, uh, many clinics have sort of gone back to the, you know, in-person visits with just more safety precautions. Which I, you know I think it's good and bad both. I think there, I think telemedicine is something we really need to embrace if we're going to put a dent on the future, you know, cancer patient volumes. Uh, we have to be more efficient, and, and that can help. Um, the other thing that happened in the radiation oncology space is that we started doing more hypofractionation, and what that means is, um, you know, giving fewer treatments, but giving it with a little bit higher dose intensification. So that way, instead of coming in for a six week course of radiation, the patient might come in with a three to four week course of radiation. Instead, we would just dial up the the, the, uh, the dose day to day. And that's partly to just reduce a patient's exposure uh, to COVID within the clinic when they're out of their house. and And there are some tumors that that um, are um, where there is flexibility, certain types of breast cancers, for example, prostate cancers, where where there is evidence that s- suggests you can you can safely give fewer treatments at a higher dose without causing uh, uh, higher
0: side effects. I'll, I'll, that's very interesting, and I don't think that this gets talked uh, about enough because we have, you know, we had these issues where certain states shut down completely and we just postponed elective procedures. But again, as I said earlier, cancer keeps going. It, it doesn't stop. And, and time is not on your side with cancer, or it can be on your side if you catch it early enough. Uh, what do you think some some of the most important lessons learned uh, from the pandemic were regarding cancer treatment? Yeah, yeah, I think the, um, you know, I think the big one that,
1: that we learned is that screening is important. Um, if, if we, you know, if we don't have screening tests done, we will diagnose cancers later. And that is really what prevents us from curing cancers. If we could, if we could diagnose all cancers at, at stage one, we would cure almost all of them. Yeah, which is, you know, which is the problem. But the good news, Omar, is that we are seeing different companies coming up with um, screening tests that are are blood tests, Mm -hmm. where they can find, um, you know, very small quantities of uh, circulating DNA from tumor cells in the blood. And and that may allow um, a safer interaction for screening, meaning you wouldn't necessarily have to go in for a full colonoscopy if you could have one of these blood tests done every year that might pick up very early cancers. And if it shows something, then you go and, and get that colonoscopy. For example, um, so so that I think is part of the future that can help us um, ensure that uh, you know screening is is happening. Um, I think the other lesson that we learned is, at least that's specific to radiation oncology, is that hypofractionation works, The you know, especially in the selected patient. There's often a, uh, I have to be careful with our words, my words here, because this can be polarizing, but for the most part, um, the clinics are paid based on the number of treatments that are delivered. And so when you shorten that, you could Decrease the amount of um, you know uh, payment that's associated uh, with the delivery of that care. In some cases, you ab- absolutely should do the longer course of treatment, but there are many cases where we have a choice, but we don't choose the more more efficient path. And I think I think what the pandemic has told us is that we can safely do shorter courses in many of these diseases and we should it's it brings cost effective care um, and hopefully people will embrace that more
0: um, after the pandemic is is finally moved on i think we'll see a a lot of changes across the board Uh, i want to move now into 2022 and wow like i said earlier it feels like 2021 just passed by like it was an extension of 20 20. But um, yeah, we're we're definitely in 2022. I have to remind myself of that. Um, um what can we expect from Varian in, in 2022? Yeah,
1: well that's uh th- there there's a there's a lot uh lot on our plates, a lot of high expectations for the company. And um I think you can um continue to see Varian maintaining its own identity even though we are part of now Siemens Healthineers, um, they have, I think the, the company acknowledges that Varian has a very strong brand uh, yeah. when it comes to cancer care and they want to make sure that we, um, we continue to, um, uh, you know, be the number one player in this space. Um, so, where are we with radiation oncology? I expect you will you will hear more about about our FLASH studies uh, and the progress that we make there. Um, You will hear more about uh, research studies on um, non-oncology applications of radiation. Um, I'll I'll sort of leave it at that for right now. Um, We will hear more about adaptive radiation. So, what I mean by that is and this is also part of our intelligent cancer care, where we can really bring truly personalized care to the radiation delivery. But if you were to take a, a patient with a head and neck cancer, for example, mm-hmm. um, they, these tumors uh, respond pretty quickly. And the majority of them are treated with radiation and they come to treatments Monday through Friday every day for about six and a half weeks. and these tumors every day get a little bit smaller. But when we typically treat these patients, we treat them with the same treatment fields, the same targets on day one as day 30, which you say, well, does that really make sense? If the tumor is almost gone or is shrunk by 50%, why are you treating the whole tumor like it was on day one? Well, the reason we don't do that is the process for redoing the treatment planning is very labor intensive and can sometimes take days to do. And we have been able to embrace artificial intelligence to create treatment machines that can actually do that recalculation, automatically readjust on a day-to-day basis exactly what we see on the patient today and treat that smaller volume today, all in a normal 15-minute treatment slot. That, I think, will be really disruptive, and you're going to hear a lot more about it, as well as um, data from many of the clinical studies that we've been doing over the past uh, several months. Uh, Those will be reported out. Um, The other thing that you should expect to see from us, and we don't talk about this nearly as much as we should, is that we are uh, continuing to build a very strong interventional oncology portfolio. Um, this is led by uh, an interventional radiologist uh, called Frank Ficini. Um, he is uh, you know, a, a brilliant business leader and physician in his own right, but he leads our business that um, involves using um, you know things like uh embolic beads chemoembolization cryotherapy microwave radio frequency ablation so Varian has a very strong portfolio that continues to grow there so you should see some some more exciting things coming um as this new pillar of cancer uh, continues
0: to grow so
1: hopefully that gives uh, uh gives you enough to uh, keep you enticed to hear more about what's going to happen this year
0: yeah yeah i i I look forward to it um varian has always had a reputation of doing some great things in cancer uh care and cancer treatment and it's uh just amazing to to hear you continuing to do that uh i'm wondering uh have you all started uh back traveling yet um any trade shows in your future
1: yeah good question we we did start traveling uh back in october um but then you know, <laughs> Omicron hit, yeah. so we we we, we uh we, we slowed back down again. But you know this, you know I think this new surge here is starting to plateau, and in some parts of the some parts of the country, some parts of the world, it's actually starting to go down a little bit. Um, I do expect us to be back full force this year. Um, you know, there's. Uh, uh, I think what will happen, though, is that the customer uh, visits are going to be, um, uh, the, you know, it's it's really the highlight of what we do, the interactions with physicians and other clinicians. Um, I think uh, from the few um, interactions we've had so far, if we're in-person meetings, I can tell you that uh, the customers are anxious to talk to us. And so... Sure. Uh, the quality of these uh, of these meetings uh, that I've been part of have been so high, and um, and we continue to to um, you know depend on our customer base to help influence our portfolio and and what we can do better to improve patient care. So we're really anxious to get back on the road and and start uh, and embracing it outside of a TV screen with our
0: customers. Yeah, and. and, and- Enough Zoom meetings, enough Teams meetings. I, I totally get it. I totally understand. Um, but the, thank you. I want to thank you for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech. I really appreciate you coming on here and, and hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much, Omar. Looking forward to it. It right, sounds great. Thanks and take care. That was such an awesome conversation with Dr. Kuntia. Dr. Kuntia, once again, thanks for coming out. And thank you to everyone who was listening to this. We really appreciate your support and supporting the podcast. Uh, it's awesome. Thanks for just taking time out during your busy day to, to listen to Let's Talk MedTech. Uh, if you want to hear more content surrounding the medical device and diagnostics industry, please check us out at mddionline.com. Yes, that's mddionline.com. That's your one stop shop for everything that's device and diagnostics related. Well, that's all of our time today. Thank you and take care. We'll see you on the next episode.